before we start this episode of the Project Football Podcast, I'd just like to dedicate it to the memory of uh, former Arsenal, Middlesbrough, West Bromwich Albion and Blackburn goalkeeper Alan Miller, who sadly passed away recently at the age of 51. Um, Alan meant a great deal to me growing up, um, playing in goal, and he was the first sort of goalkeeping hero uh, that I looked up to. Um, so when West Brom signed him in, in 1997, um, it's a figure that I say is held in very high regard to a lot of West Brom fans, and he will be sadly missed. Uh, rest in peace, Alan Miller. Luke Williamson Art is a family-run business producing digital art prints of iconic and famous football grounds from yesteryear, running since 2017. In this episode, I chat to singer-songwriter Sam Lambeth uh, about his music and his love of Wolverhampton Wanderers. There's the usual poem from footballpoets.org, a bit of background to the Molyneux outfit, uh, Sam gives us his choices for 4 for you and a new way to round things off with some football-related either-or questions, with some tough choices to make. Just as a side note, when this was recorded towards the back end of April, um, both our clubs still had a manager um, before they decided to leave at the end of the 2021 season. Time for kick-off. Okay, so before the uh, interview, um, we'll give you some sort of facts and figures and bits and bobs about uh, about Wolverhampton Wanderers. So here we go. Uh, they were founded in 1877 uh, as St Luke's FC. Uh, they play at the Molyneux uh, with a capacity of around about 31,700. Uh, the manager at the time of the interview was Nuno Espirito Santo, um, and they'll be playing in the Premier League uh, next season as they were this season, as they managed to stay up. Uh, The record goal scorer is Steve Ball, with 306 goals between 1986 and 1999. Uh, Record appearance holder is Derek Parkin, with 609 appearances between 1968 and 1982. The highest transfer fee they paid was £35 for Fabio Silva, and he was from Porto um, in the the summer window of the 2021 season and the highest fee received also in that same window was for Diogo Jota going to Liverpool for 41 million. Uh, Their highest league win on record is against Leicester City in Division 1 and that was in 1938. Record FA Cup win was versus Croswell's Brewery in the second round in November 1886. Record League Cup win, 6-1 against Shrewsbury Town in the second round first leg, uh, September 91. Uh, Record European win was 5-0 against Austria Vienna in the Cup Winners' Cup quarter-final second leg in November 1960. Uh, As for honours, in the top tier, 
of English football. So these would have all been in the, as it was the first division. Uh, they won the league in 1954, 1958 and 1959. They were runners-up in 1938, 1939, 1950, 1955 and 1960. Uh, and the second tier, they've been champions in 1932, 1977, 2009 and 2018. Uh, runners-up uh, they were champions of it in 1924, 1989, and as recently as 2014. And the fourth tier, well, League Two, uh, they were champions in 1988. Uh, Cup-wise, they were runners-up in the UEFA Cup in 1972, uh, won the FA Cup in 1893, 1908, 1921 and 1939. Uh, they won the and winning the Football League trophy in 1988. Um, five famous fans of theirs include uh, presenter Susie Perry, uh, apparently Eric Idle is a Wolves fan, um, Robert Plant famously of Led Zeppelin, uh, Gary Stringer who's the lead singer of Reef, and also comedian Steve Edge. It's my pleasure this episode to welcome to the Project Football Podcast, Sam Lambeth. Thanks for having me on. Really pleasure. to be here. So you are a singer-songwriter and also a Wolves fan, which we'll move on to later yeah. on. Don't um, hold either against me. I'll try not to, given my <laughs> allegiance. We'll, we'll, we'll try and keep it pleasant. Um, so musically, um, how, how long have you been performing? Uh, probably about 12 years now. I think I started my first band late 2008 yeah. and um, we were together for a few years. Then I had a, a brief time out, um, formed a new band. They were together for a few years. It's kind of gone in cycles, really. Had a band for a few years, took time out, got bored, formed another band, had some time out. And then the last time I said I wasn't going to come back, I was kind of, I thought it was time to to hang up the guitar, you know, and, and stop gigging. But the songwriting bug never truly leaves you. And I think you get so used to that adrenaline and that rush of playing live and, and being active in the music scene. So, yeah, I, once lockdown happened, I started writing again more regularly. And back, I was back in the studio. And then that's when I decided this time I was just going to stay as a solo artist. Yeah. And so is that just like just you on stage on your own or like with a, a backing band? I've got a, I've got a band. Um, I'm kind of sorted either way. So I've got some gigs coming up and, and one of them is a solo acoustic gig, uh, but the others are four band gigs. So I, I can, I can adapt really depending on, on what's needed. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm quite lucky in that respect. I've got some really great guys that I've been playing with um, and they're, they're, they're managing to make me sound good. So 
you know, I don't want to lose them. <laughs> ah, Are these ones that you've been in bands with previously or is it like a new, like completely new group? It's a, it's a completely new group. Um, I, I did, I know, I know some of them. Um, one of them I rehearsed with before, uh, a drummer who's really, really good. And I was really hoping he'd agree to it. Um, so I, I was praying when I sent the message, uh, but I was chuffed when he agreed to do it. Um, and the bass player and keyboard player, I do know really well. But I've never played with them before. But it's nice. It's it, it you know I'm always a bit. It's always a bit nerve wracking at first when you start the process. But we're kind of all used to each other now, and we got on really well. And it's it's a nice atmosphere. I ran out of time. You kept it on your side, and they won't come back again. No, they. I suppose that's half the battle, isn't it? With you know, I suppose if you're in a like in a, in a band or like with you having the the guys that are backing you, you know, if you get on, you know, it, it's uh, it gets you off on a solid footing, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's the main thing, isn't it? Obviously, abilities is really important, but I think you have to be on the same wavelength. Just personally, I think for what I want from it, you know, in terms of the gigs I want to do and the level I want to train get to if that makes sense yeah you need people that are kind of on that same wavelength and are up for the journey too and luckily the the guys that i'm i'm playing with seem up for that you know so brilliant so you say you've got gigs lined up um what sort of size venues you, you're looking at uh, only fairly small um so i've got We've got a gig in Wolverhampton. I don't know if you know the Slade Rooms. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I've watched my... Well, they're not together anymore, uh, the band, but my friend's band, Rhesus. Um, I saw them there quite a long time ago, shall we say. Yeah, I've played there quite a lot over the years in, in, in various bands. I actually think I might hold the record for most appearances at the Slade Rooms because I, I used to play there nearly every week. Um, but, um, yeah, we've got a gig there in early July... And then we've got a, a really big gig. It's it's a headline gig, and that's in Deadwax in Digbeth. Okay. Um, and then we've, I'm playing a solo acoustic show the week after on the 23rd of July at the Grey Lantern in Birmingham. Yeah. And that's supporting Mark Morris from the Blue Tones. So that should be yes. really cool. And I've I've played with him before, and I've I've played at the Blue Tones before. So it'd be it'd be great to share the stage with him again. Um, and then. There's tentative gigs uh, for outside of the Midlands as well, but they're not uh, quite confirmed yet. But yeah. only small venues, so nothing, nothing too huge. But I, I prefer that really. You know, um, I, I don't really mind what size the venue is. I think just as long as there's people there to play to, that's always yeah. the main thing for me. So a crowd's a crowd, whether it's like twenty or twenty thousand. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it takes a while to see. Maybe when I was a bit younger, I'd see twenty people and think, "Oh, I wish there was more." Yeah. But now I'm just I'm I'm at that stage where I'm just thankful if anyone comes, even if there's two people there. If that if that if those two people have have paid money to see me, or or even if they haven't, they've they've come to see another. Band. They've turned up anyway, haven't they? Yeah. 
yeah, if, if people, it doesn't matter on the, the quantity anymore, you know, if people just give me a chance and watch me, then I'm really grateful for that because obviously there's people out there in the world that don't get the opportunities that we get. They, there might be some rock star somewhere that can't, you know, get on stage for whatever reason. So for me, I'm, I'm, I try not to get too hung up anymore about the size of the venue or the size of the audience. Yeah. If there's, you know, just go on stage, give it your best and just be, just be thankful and grateful that you've got that chance really, you know, yeah, so that's sure. a, well, it's what I try and tell myself. <laughs> try and keep yourself grounded. Yeah, definitely. No, um, like I say, a gig's a gig, I suppose, at the moment, isn't it? Whether it's, uh, well, whatever size, especially given what we've gone through, um, you know, with the, the pandemic and what have you. Yeah, I mean, it was easy for me in a way um, because for a lot of bands and artists, obviously the pandemic was a, a really harsh full stop in the yeah. middle of a sentence you know they had gigs planned recordings tours and all of a sudden out of nowhere all of that was gone all that momentum's gone so it must have been really really difficult uh, not just to have to face up to the constant postponements and cancellations but also just to keep the positive energy because I imagine it would have been difficult over lockdown to keep their fan base engaged enough trying to think of ways to yeah to, you know things to post things to record things like that well so I was very lucky that I didn't really launch my solo career until last October November so uh, it didn't really matter to me because it, it wasn't halting anything there wasn't any gigs planned there wasn't really anything planned um so I was quite fortunate in that in that respect yeah I suppose you know one thing I noticed you've been doing is like um on Twitter, people have been doing like top tens of, of different bands. I think yeah. the Smiths was one recently, wasn't it? Yeah, the Smiths the, was one. Then the Beatles are on now. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy it. And uh, again, um, Twitter, it's been such a great little community. I, I mean, I've, I discovered you on there. I discovered so many other great podcasters and artists and, and playlisters and you name it. I think uh, the bulk of the connections I've made and has been through Twitter. And it's, it's a fantastic community of, of people who are all full of goodwill and are all really supportive. And um, for me, I, I thought the top tens was a, was a great way to try and uh, test myself to practice and learn some new songs. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but also hopefully a good way just to, to get, my, get myself out there a little bit so people who perhaps hadn't listened to my stuff could hear me sing and play. Don't know if that's a good thing or not. It might have put a lot of people <laughs> off, now. But um, I thought it was a it was a good it was a good little test for myself. Keep myself busy practicing because um, I think it's always good to have these little targets in mind, you know. Because for me, if I don't have any gigs planned or anything, my my practicing gets a bit sloppy because I haven't got yeah. a target to work towards. So with the top tens, it kept me active, and I thought it'd be a good way just to to get my get myself out there a little bit. And it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've really really enjoyed it. To be fair. And not only that, there's been a few songs that I've done when I did the Cure Top 10 and I did the Smiths Top 10. And even when I did the Arctic Monkeys Top 10 way back, it was um, 
there were songs that I played and I, obviously I, I played them a lot differently than the full band versions. Yeah. And for me, I was like, I really like this and I'm, I'm actually going to keep this now and I'm going to practice this and use it at future gigs. So when I do the solo acoustic gig in July, for example, um, I'm not sure what the final set list will be, but I'm certainly going to look to a few of those songs I did in those top tens where I kind of tweaked the sound a little bit and and, and stripped it back a lot yeah. and, and, and keep those. But now it's been great fun. And it's kept me regimented, you know. So every day I've got up and thought, well, today I've got to practice this one song and record it and get it on there. And it's 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 helped me keep, like I say. So it keeps you active, doesn't it? Yeah, it keeps my keeps my brain going, which is always needed. So I say, I mean, for example, I try to think of Smith's song off the top of my head. Uh, I say this charming man will sound different just on an acoustic guitar to how it would, like I say, with Morrissey and Johnny Marr on the go. Yeah, well, that was the one act that I really enjoyed playing because I knew I wasn't going to be able to replicate Johnny Marr's kind of arpeggios on that song because obviously, one, it's bloody hard and I, I <laughs> can't play like him. And two, I thought it's just not going to sound the, as good with just me and an acoustic. You know, you need your chorus pedal on and everything. You need that Rick and Backer jangly sound. So I thought, well, how can I play a little bit differently with just me and the acoustic? Because I'm one of those people that we've covered. I'm not so fussed if it sounds exactly like the record. I kind of like it when people change them a little bit, you know, and, yeah. and, and and find new ways to play them. So I thought, well, how can I do that with this charming man when it's such a, you know, uh, upbeat indie rock staple? Mm. And I kind of, I took the harmonica and just played the chords, started down a little bit, and I made it into a little bit more of a, a country rock kind of ballad, you know, and people seem to really like so, it got a good reception and it's definitely one that I'll consider playing in the future who'd have thought you'd ever hear country rock ballad associated with the Smiths <laughs> <laughs> well I mean like for me I'm a big fan of like Bob Dylan and he always changes his songs around you know live and stuff and I, I wouldn't do it with every song but I mean with like another hero of mine is Eric Clapton Yeah. and when he did his Unplugged album he, that was when he first did Layla Acoustic I think and obviously Layla's this frenetic rock anthem isn't it with all them squealing solos and uh, and he kind of said well I'm not going to be able to replicate that acoustically so what can I do and he 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 kind of turned it into this bluesy shuffle and so that I kind of thought that's a really cool way of of going about it so that's kind of influenced me with some stuff you know it kind of strips away the rules doesn't it and makes you think you know what I can tackle tackle this any way I want and just see what happens and so you mentioned Dylan and Claps, and that kind of gives me a couple of answers to what I was going to ask you next. Like, who are your influences um, other than those two now? Um, it's all it's always changed over the years. Um, growing up, I was into like the Brit poppy bands like Ocean Colour Scene and Oasis, and I think you can still hear a little bit of that sound in my music now. Um, But lately, it's been more of the singer-songwriters. I think because I knew I was going to strike it alone. Yeah. I started listening more to solo artists. And um, Tom Petty's always been a big influence. 
So for years and years, I think ever since I formed a band back in 2008, I always wanted to make a record like Wild Flowers by Tom Petty, which is this kind of acoustic driven rock record. And it's got moments where it does really rock with the electric guitars, but the acoustics quite prominent on there. And I always wanted to make a record like that. But when I was in bands, we were always very much focused on creating like an energetic live performance rather than a layered studio experience. Yeah. And I, I was up for that as well. Like, so it was, it was my choosing too. And I think when you're growing up, a lot of the times that's kind of what you want. You want to plug your guitars in, play something loud and fast and get the audience on the feet. Not that sure. there was, I mean, sometimes there weren't an audience there to, to get on there. <laughs> well, they got on their feet and left, but you know. Just turn up to 11 anyway. Yeah. Whereas because I wasn't in a band and I wasn't rehearsing, I had no gigs. I, when I went into the studio, there were kind of no rules. I could just add whatever I wanted. I could I could follow any particular path that I chose. And then I thought, well, now's the time to try and make a record like Wildflower was kind of like an, an alternative rock record with yeah. a lot of acoustic. So he's a big influence. Um, Bruce Springsteen, I think, um, you know, his energy, um, the, the, the the style of the songs, that kind of roots rock, that was a big influence too. And then uh, other acts too, like, um, so as you mentioned Dylan, but people like Jackson Brown, um, Paul Westerberg, there's another one I can't remember, Neil Young. Yeah. Uh, pe- people like that really I mean I should really stop comparing myself to all these legends because I, <laughs> I I said to someone at work the other day I said oh I, you know Tom Petty and Bob Dylan are my influences and this, this guy was like bloody hell well you best be good now when I listen to you <laughs> no no pressure like yeah uh, fair enough um, and so that's pretty much covered the, the music side of things so on to what you know primarily got you here for is the football so as I mentioned earlier you're a Wolves fan um, yeah as people will probably know from previous episodes, I am a West Brom fan. So this could have made for a bit of an awkward encounter, but, you know, we'll, we'll be all right. Yeah, it's going okay so far, isn't it? Luckily, yeah. luckily, we're not in the same room. I think the fact that there's a screen separating us. I was going to say, we're still talking, so I'll take that as a win, which, let's yeah. face it, with where we are at the moment, they're hard to come by. Well, you got one from us. Yeah, so. which, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll say, how bad do you feel about that? Um, no, I was going to start. So, um, how did you get into football? Well, my family are all fervent Wolves fans, so there really was no way of not being a Wolves fan. Yeah, it's very much been like a religion. So, my my granddad uh, was a season ticket holder. My dad was a season ticket holder. My brother is currently a season ticket holder. So it's it's been hereditary, really. Um, I'm loath to compare it to a hereditary condition, but when Wolves have been playing very badly, it's felt like that sometimes. Yeah. But um, yeah, so there was really no choice, really. And I, I kind of dipped in and out when I was growing up. Um, there were times when I was really into it, and then there were times when I was a bit more blasé about it. But I'd say by the time I was 15, 16, so I suppose relatively late, really, uh, that was when I was firmly on board. Kind of the, 
I think it was kind of like the two the Mick McCarthy the start of the Mick McCarthy years was when I began to really take notice and really begin to yeah. become a fan. And I think one of the reasons why that it kind of solidified in me was that by that point I had a, a core group of friends which I'm still friends with now. And they're all Wolves fans and I'd go and play football with them every week. And because they were Wolves fans, the, the conversation was always about, you know, Wolves transfers, yeah. the result. And I'm one of those kind of people that when I when I get into something, I'm a bit bit of an anorak, really. I'll, right. I'll get into something and I'll, I'll want to know everything. So when I started to get into football again, I started getting into it to an insane degree. And yeah, and so I really got into Wolves around that point. And um, so, yeah, I suppose I was a relatively late, late bloomer to it really but I think it was always going to happen because because of my family all being Wolves fans I was going to say if, if your grandparents then your parents you know it, it's more than likely it's going to sort of come down to you isn't it yeah pretty much yeah so you, you, you can't help it. it's literally in the blood it's 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 like the royal family for me I, I, I was kind of born to I was born into this whether yeah. I liked it or not <laughs> so, um, so what's your sort of earliest footballing memory Ooh, um I would say again it's hard to say because it was always around. I think one of the earliest memories for me was probably I think I was about six and I hadn't been to the game, but it was when Wolves played Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup and it went to the penalty shootout and Chris Waddle took the penalty. And he hadn't took a penalty since that famous Miss Fring. Yes, 1990 World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, and I'm not sure if you've seen the videos, but you can so tell that he really did not want to take this penalty. I don't have it, to be honest. I just remember um, Stuart Pearce when he took one in 96 for England. Um, I don't know if he'd taken anything for Forrest in between that, but no, I haven't seen the Chris Waddle one. Yeah, it was kind of a very limp penalty that was easily saved. and um, But it was a... I remember... Uh, my brother and granddad coming home from that and really talking about that really energetically and because it was such a, a great atmosphere. So that's probably one of the very earliest memories, I think, that I that I have. Was that at Molyneux? Was that at... Um... Is that Molyneux? Yeah, yeah. It's at Molyneux, yeah. And I think, again, like I say, um, I kind of dipped in and out of it, but then the first year in the Premiership with Dave Jones, mm. that was kind of when I kind of started to get back into it because I think I was about 12 at that point and I was at that age when I was starting to get back into football and it didn't, it didn't quite stick at that point when I was 15, 16 that's when it stuck but when I was 12, 13 and we were in the premiership for that first time I, I, I got into it then a bit and I was watching there but it wasn't match of the day was it? it was the premiership no, well, yeah it was on ITV wasn't it I suppose yeah. when you get in coverage like that you know you can see your highlights every week whereas if you're like in League 1, League 2 you haven't got that readily available then, have you? No. Well, my uncle is a Warsaw fan. So back mm. then it was difficult for him to ever watch highlights. I don't know if he I don't think he watches really pays attention to it now, but back then, yeah, it would have been really difficult. Yeah, so that was um yeah, the, the, on ITV, that was one that had you too, wasn't it? As the opening... Beautiful day. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah, face no, it. No, no. Go on. Sorry. I was just gonna say because because that was the first time I got into football, I would say, when I was that age. I didn't know much of the day. I mean, I was aware of the music, I was aware yeah. of the pundits, but I hadn't actually sat down and watched a proper episode of Match of the Day. So my first experience was my first experience was the premiership. Um and obviously it wasn't that great a show, but it was no. kind of weird for me that that was the 
when I got into football, that was the show that was around. Because obviously, for most of the last, I, I don't know how many years, it's been match of the day, hasn't yeah. it? So I think when we went down, didn't you come up at the, at that season? Was that the, the playoffs against Sheffield United, was it? Yes. Yeah. I, I should so, say that, that, sorry to interrupt. Um, you, you've jogged my memory there. That was one of that was probably one of my earliest memories too because we watched that game on the telly, the yeah. playoff final, and I watched it. I didn't really know. I, I mean, I knew what was happening, you know, because I did. I did know football and I played FIFA a lot, but um, I didn't really know many of the players or any, or anything like that. But I remember watching that game and being swept up in the in the atmosphere. Just the I didn't really of it. Yeah, but I didn't really realize. I didn't really know what was going on in terms of. I didn't know it was such a big win and I didn't realise that Wolves had only kind of crept into the playoffs and I didn't realise that people were thinking Sheffield United were going to win. You know, I didn't have any of that, you know, that background to it yeah. really. So I kind of watched it a bit ignorant, really. I suppose if that happened now, you'd you'd know everything that was going on purely because you can't avoid it, can you? I mean, let's face it, you've only got to like turn sideways and you can get football somehow, you know. Yeah, it's just readily available now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like everything, I suppose. I see a couple of clicks of a button and that's it. You know, you've got a live stream or you know anything, really. Yeah, we're, we're spoiled, really, aren't we? Really. To a degree. And I think a lot of that, obviously, is because of what we're going through now. Because the change, like fixture days and times of kickoff, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, you have, have tournaments. And you get yeah. like three games in a day. It's sort of like that, to a degree, isn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because... The Mariners said this on the podcast that I listened to uh, the other day, and I think they made a really good point that the days of the of five or six Premiership teams kicking off at three o'clock on a Saturday, I don't think they'll come back now either. Um, no, it, it's I unlikely. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a shame. Really, Wolves have—I can't even remember the last time Wolves had a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. We were meant to have one against Sheffield United, I think, and that got moved to the Monday or Tuesday night recently. Yeah. I can't remember the last time we had a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. Our game on, which should have been the, the first of May, that got put back to the Monday. So you know that that's one that would have been Saturday. After yeah. I think it would have been a three o'clock. Um, but I'm, yeah, I think it's the Monday moved. night now, isn't it? Yeah, ours oh. got moved because of the um, funeral. Sorry, that's yes. why ours got moved. Yeah, they all got moved, didn't they? Um, yeah, but I, I I agreed with that when the Mariners said that. I think regrettably. It will change, and the, the days of those three o'clock kickoffs, three or four of them happening, yeah. are going to be a thing of the past, sadly. And so much where you need to just, you know, support a team sort of league one downwards, isn't it, to get a Saturday three o'clock? Yeah, I mean, that's a question for you, actually. I mean, obviously, you support West Brom, but do you have a, a special um, kind of uh, liking for a, a smaller team that you follow? Or... Um, funnily enough, yes. And it's another Wanderers, ironically. Um, it's Wickham Wanderers. Uh, the and, the mighty uh, the mighty underdogs in the, yeah. in the championship and and randomly it's because I don't know if you're old enough to remember the original championship manager I do I, I, yeah we used to have that yeah. I mean at the start of the noughties you know we had that game yeah this was going back into the like the early to mid nineties when I was playing it and um, I randomly picked them to to manage and took them on a you know, adventure from whatever league they were in at the time to like top of the Premier League into Europe. And I, it's just been one of them. I've always kept an eye on the results. And funnily enough, they ended up playing Stourbridge in the Cup um, a few years ago. And I went down to Adams Park to watch that. But obviously with, you know, 
my black country allegiance rather than for the chair boys. Yeah. So, uh, but no, yeah, that didn't answer your question. Yeah, Wickham. It's funny you say that because I've always liked Wickham. Not so much that I check the results every week, but I've always had a soft spot for them because um, I, you might have asked me this question later down the line, but they've probably got my favourite kit, you know, the quarters. Yes, it is I've quite always, smart I've, to be fair, yeah. And it's it's quite unique, I think, especially in like um, the English Football League. How about Bristol Rovers, I suppose, are another one. But yeah, um, I've always loved their kits. And I've, I keep saying that they had one a couple of seasons ago. And it was the quarters, and then they had cherry red records as a sponsor. So you had this kind of yeah. red rectangle in the middle of these quarters. So it's a little bit garish, but I loved it, and I was always going to get it, and I never got round to it. But now I always liked, um, I've always liked Wickham, to be fair. And uh, I was talking to my my mom and my sister about them the other day because I think they may maybe they'd scored, and it was on Soccer Saturday. And I was telling them about Gareth Ainsworth, and obviously he's like a rock star man. Yeah. And they didn't quite believe the it. Until the the jacket, their isn't pictures. he? And it's like you, you could just see him on, on on stage at Glastonbury, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, so he's been there a while, hasn't he, Ainsworth? Yeah, so. I mean, when he first got there, he, they almost went down to the conference, didn't they? And mm. he managed to keep them up. And then since then, they've just been on the up and up. I mean, it's, it's a real away, shame. Yeah. It's a real shame that they're probably. I mean, it's probably they probably are going to go straight back down. And I, I was talking to my brother about it the other week. It's a real shame for their fans because imagine the experiences they would have had this season, seeing yeah. big teams there and going to these away days. It's a real shame for, for the fans, and it's a shame for them financially too, because obviously they're not a championship club in terms of the income they produce. So no. it's a real shame that they've missed out on that. It would have been really nice if I mean they might still stay up. You never know, but. It'd be a real shame if they go straight back down. And because the, I think the sad thing is when clubs like Yeovil before and, and Wickham now, when they defy the odds and go up to the championship and then they go straight back down, the worry is then that they struggle to stay consistent yeah. and they, they end up just going down and down. Um, so the, the, the likelihood side. of them coming back up, you worry that that might not happen. But but you never know. You never know. Yeah, so it happened with, like, I think, Burn Albion as well. I've been another one who'd been up there and and drop back down again and not quite manage to get back up well, they, to they Yeah, they managed, to, they managed to stay up, didn't they? And, and, and have a second season at it. Yeah. Uh, which is incredible when you think back um, that they managed to do that. I mean, I remember a, few, a couple of seasons ago, because one team I, always, I, I, I have a soft spot for is Shrewsbury, because they're kind of a local team and they're, yeah. they're a slightly smaller team. Um, well, they got to the League One final, finals a couple of seasons ago yes. against Charlton and the loss sadly but then I remember thinking oh it's a real shame because are they going to get close to that again and so far they haven't they've just kind of gone back to where they were before it's kind of a lower mid-table league one side so, so just get knocked back further and yeah it's, it's, I think it's a shame I, I suppose I don't know if you're the same but I, I always kind of like the underdogs and I always root for them and I always want the underdogs to get promoted and I want the underdogs to stay up and you know yeah as long as they don't take three points off us then yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, um, I was gonna say have you got like a, a favorite kit you know not necessarily a, a Wolves one but yeah, well, it could be. Um, or apart from, like you mentioned, the Wickham quarters. I like the. I do like the Wickham quarters. Um, in terms of walls, they actually just um, reintroduced a classic kit to buy, and it was the 1993 kit, and um, it was the Goodyear years, yeah. and obviously that sponsor is so iconic to to walls and um, such a, a beautiful kit. Um, 
I mean, obviously this is a podcast, isn't it? So I've got to, I'm going to have to try and describe it, but it's um, it's a polo design. So polo neck with buttons, yeah. uh, black polo neck, uh, obviously the gold, um, but it's kind of got like these kind of scuffs on it. Um, yes. but kind, of, kind of in an artistic way. Um, but that's, they've, They've just uh, bought that back out. Like, a, obviously, it's not the original; it's like a reproduction. Yeah. But it's such a really nice fancy kit, and um, when I saw it in my email, I thought, oh, "That's really nice. I might, I might buy that when it comes to payday." And I checked yeah. my phone, and my, my brother messaged me and said, "I've just ordered this top." <laughs> Lo and behold, it was the same one. I, I said to him, "I says, you're, you're thinking what I'm thinking there." Yeah, see, I'm a, I'm a bugger for that. Like for for new kits, it's like I'm not going to get it till the end of the season. Then the new one comes out, and it's like. Okay, yeah, I'm going to get it. You know, I can't. It's like yeah. you say about your um, re-releasing that one. I mean, as this season's been like the the barcode one from the early nineties. Oh yeah. And yeah. when I saw we were doing that, I was like, oh well, there goes my money for the month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, um, the kits we've had this season. I've got the current home shirt for Wolves, but I wasn't too enamoured with it. But I mean, the away one, I I hated it when I first saw it. Uh, I think you know the one I'm referring to, don't you? The is one that, that looks looks like it looks is like that the I, one don't that, know. I was going like, to say it's like the Simpsons introduction with the white and the, or is it? Yeah, the, is that the third yeah. one? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I'm on about. Yeah, and I, I hated it at first. Then part of me thought oh, maybe it's not so bad, and then uh, I just hate it again. I yeah. just really don't like it at all. I think if they remove those blobs, because it looks like a toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> or something. If they remove those light blue blobs, it would look really smart. And this actually leads to my next favourite kit for walls. Um, and it's really so hard to get hold of. There's never one for sale. And I do look quite a lot. Um, it was the 2014-15 away top for walls. And um, if any walls fans are listening, I bet they'll know which one I mean. And it, it was. Um, a really smart design. Again, like a polo neck. I think I'm a sucker for a, a shirt <laughs> with a polo neck. It was a black black polo neck, but then the uh, the shirt was white, just a clean, plain white, uh, with the Watt House sponsor in black, and it looked fantastic. It, it looked so smart and clean and minimal and yeah. really really nice, and I, I loved it at the time. And it was so popular, I just couldn't get hold of one. In a way, it was a blessing because. I was a size small then, and I'm not oh, a size small then, so I won't be able to wear it. But I keep looking on eBay and, and hoping one day one will come for sale. But I suppose it's a little bit like Port Vale kits, like white and black. But, I mean, it's very minimal. It's not garish, but it's such a really nice, smart design. I, I really, really like it, and I'm hoping one day I'll own one. I suppose, like, you know, to use the cliche, sometimes less is more, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, like I say, the current away top. I think if they dialed it down a notch, it would have been really, really nice. Because yeah. that that fourteen fifteen one that you said about would that have been done by Puma? Yes. Yeah, because yes. that's who. Because like, we swapped uh, kit sponsors, didn't we? You went to Adidas, and yes, from because we had them previously. Then we went to Puma, and you'd had them. So, and to be fair, I don't think they've done a bad kit for us, to be honest. No, they're nice. Um, I always liked. Uh, you know, you remember when West Brom had that uh, home top. It might have been the 2014-15 season when the, you had quite thin... The pinstripe one. Yeah, I liked that. Yeah, I know I, fans didn't like it because the stripes weren't as prominent, but as a, as a neutral, I, I actually quite like that. Uh, you're not neutral, behave. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> now, to be fair, I, I actually really liked it when I saw it. I thought, it's different. You know, it's still... All right, yeah, it was mainly white with 
touches of blue. But no, I was all for it, to be fair. Um, but yeah, because I think one of your... Is it your third kit? It was like a, a dark green one this season. Or was that last season? This season, it's the Portugal rip-off. It's uh, yeah, purple. That's it. Yeah, that's sort of yeah, maroony sort of colour. Yeah. We have had a green we have had a green ones before that I've never really liked, to be fair. But yeah, yeah we have had green ones in the past. And so if you keep the Portugal colours and yeah, it's a nod to your super agent, isn't it? All the Mr. Mendes? It must have been a it must have been deliberate, I think. They must that have been it. just saying, Yeah, all right, we know that most of our squad's Portuguese here. Yeah, have this. Um, really what they should have done was just sent everyone a plain purple and green shirt with transfers and then if you wanted it to be Portugal for a day you can if you want it to just be just for a day. badge or something just to change over it <laughs> yeah so, yeah you're saying about kids and not the, the re-release of the the 93 one for me if anyone says you know if I had to not that I can draw but if I had to draw a Wolves top it would have the the good year as the sponsor because that's my sort of main memory of those of those shirts yeah, I think it'd be great if we had Goodyear back as a sponsor. I think it would look amazing. It would look better than the the, the betting companies we have. Um, there, was, many... there was one we had, and it was Goodyear. It had like tire marks on it. I don't yeah. know if you remember that one. I think that was that was it in the nineties as well. That was a really really nice kit too. So I remember the one you had, um, and I think that the body of the shirt was like the shape of the the wolf on the badge. Was it? Yes. So like yes. that was the the body and you had like the black sleeves, I think. Yeah. I think was that was yeah. another good year one. Yeah, they had some really smart ones to be fair. We've always been quite good. There's only been a few that I weren't really that keen on. Um the last few years there's been some that didn't blow me away and some that have. But I think for the most part we, we do we do seem to get it right. I suppose the problem is these days, it's like it's a new kit every season, isn't it? Both home and away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just part of the the machine, isn't it? Now, mm. it's uh, like if you're a marketing agent for a football club, it, it's it's up there with transfer deadline day and pre-season. Yeah. New kit now is just it's just part and parcel, isn't it? I mean, even the lower league clubs that used to prefer doing a, a new strip every other season seem to now do it every season. But I mean, I, I I'm quite sad, and um, one thing I do there, there's this website. I don't know if it's called Football Kit news or something i don't i don't do it as much now actually but um i used to uh, when it got to pre-season i used to go on there like not like all the time but maybe yeah, once yeah. a day i'd go on because they just put the updates on of new kits and i used to you go for a one yeah it's just quite sad really i suppose but uh <laughs> but yeah so, yeah 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 i used to do that i, I don't i didn't really do it this season but yeah, I, I used to do that quite a lot as well, and just see what see what kits took my fancy. Like if I saw one I like, I think, oh, I'll play as them on FIFA. Yeah, so I, um, I've done that a bit. To be fair, there's a, a FIFA player as well, like on the Ultimate Team. Um, I flick between. I think I've had, I had, I think I've got the Brighton kit at the moment. I've used, like, I've used Wickham as well. Um, funnily enough, so yeah, just anything you get, just like if you like the look of it, just use it, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so we've gone from favourite kits now to favourite people who would have been in those particular kits. So any favourite players apart from probably the one obvious one, which I'm pretty sure every Wolves fan would mention? You know, it's funny you say every Wolves fan, because I know what Wolves player you're referring 
been to. And one of my friends, for some reason, has a has a passionate hatred for Steve Ball, and I don't know why. And they're um, a Wolves fan. Yes. Well, I mean, they the say they are. They're, <laughs> they're they're not as prominently a Wolves fan as they used to be. But um, for some reason, he, he hates Steve Ball, and. Um, I remember it was his birthday recently. It was his 30th. And um, me and my friends, as a joke, because we found out that you can get a, a personalised happy birthday call from Steve Ball. Um, <laughs> so we were going we we to have a whip round and get him to ring, not my mate's phone, but maybe one of our phones. And then yeah. I got to him, like, oh, it's your, it's your girlfriend. Like some, you know, it's urgent. She can't get through to you. And then when he gets the phone, it's Steve Ball just to see his face. <laughs> but um, we didn't get through with it in the end. But yeah, obviously he was amazing. I, I didn't get... It was, it was, obviously, Steve Bull, I'm aware of his pedigree and I've seen YouTube videos and I know what an amazing servant he was to us. And obviously, he played for you guys before, didn't he? He and, did, yeah. Uh, he got him from us for peanuts, I think, pretty much back in the late 80s, it would have been. And we had, Andy, we had Andy Much from you as well, didn't we? Is that right? Um, I'm all wrong in that um, one. Andy Thompson, I think it was. Ah, okay. Um, there's been a few that have, you know, Wasn't gone... Robbie Dennison at both? Um... I'm, I'm probably getting this all wrong now. I should stop, shouldn't I? I should stop shitting random names. Out. To be fair, yeah, we should probably uh, probably should have had Google on the go to start with. But, um, <laughs> Don Goodman was one. Yes. Um, he did the rounds, didn't he? Because he played for Warsaw as well towards the end, I think. I think he did, yeah. Um, Tony Lang was another one. Yeah, so uh, goalkeeper from the early nineties. He was in goal um, for us when we won the playoffs in '93. I think I don't know whether we got him. The 92, 93 season from you or what? But um, yeah, he's uh, he's not. I'm trying to think of a more recent one, but there's nothing really coming to mind. Um, no. The only one I can think of recently that played for both was Bakary Sacco because he had a, he had a yes. brief tenure with. You yes, we had him for a, about a month or something, and yeah, it didn't quite work out. And I think. One, sorry, I was going to say what uh, one player that almost went to you guys was Greg Halford, and I remember like saying to my mates, I was like. You know, there's only one thing Greg Halford could have done to have made himself more hated by Wolves fans, and that was join West Brom. You know what? I've just thought of one. Go ahead. Pretty, pretty big player for you, um, Jolien Lescott. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he played for you for it was just one season. I think the it? one season, then he moved on to uh, the, the Claret and Blue lot of the road. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, an amazing player that sadly I didn't really see much of mm. because it was kind of. That era was when I was kind of dipping in and out of it, so I would have seen them on telly. But the 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 the, the first year that I really got into Wolves was the first year in the Prem, and obviously yeah. Lescott didn't play. I was going to say he's one of those. If he'd have kept fit, he'd have well, he'd, he'd have probably left Wolves for a you know a, a top four, top six club. Um, but his injury record just meant he didn't play enough games, really, did he? So no, but he had an amazing career. So yeah, he did it right for himself. Yeah. Uh, and I say you got a few England caps as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Um, I would say, well, I say, bully is probably the he, he's probably the pinnacle for for most Wolves fans, isn't he? Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the, the the dog he's uh, crying at me for some reason. Come on, come up here. Come on. I don't know. He's just lying here crying at me. I don't know why. The bed's here. The bed's free for him to jump onto, but. He's deciding to lie on the floor and cry at me. He's probably thinking, "What? Why is my? What? Why is Sam talking to an Albion fan? You know, what's all that about this? Why? Come on, get on with it." He just wants he wants attention. I think that's, ah, that's fair enough. Um, um, yeah, sorry. Um, okay, back. 
<laughs> yeah, Steve, Steve, Steve Ball is obviously a prominent one. I mean, for me, the one of the, I've had a few players that I really liked. I really liked Jody Craddock because um, that was kind of that coincided with when I first really got into Wolves during those Mick McCarthy years, and obviously he was a stalwart at the back. Yeah. Um, so obviously I was a really big fan of um, his. Um, I really liked uh, Kevin Foley. I think he was just so consistent and a really impressive um, performer. But then again, there were so many of them during that during that Mick McCarthy era when I first got into it. We had such a, a settled lineup, yeah. And I think that was good in a way. But then, obviously, when we got rid of Mick McCarthy, I don't think it was such a good thing that we had so many stalwarts there. But obviously, we had Carl Henry, who was there for many years, Stephen Ward. George Ellicobi, yep. Steerman, Berra, Stephen Hunt, oh, so many players, Ebanks Blake, so many players we had for such a long period. And they were all really impressive. Yeah, she had um, Hennessy in goal as well, didn't you, around that time? Yes, yeah. Um, obviously, fantastic. We, we were blessed, really, with keepers at that period, weren't we? Because we still kind of had Matt Murray, um, although... <laughs> He would kind of in and out with injuries. And... Yeah, I say another one, if he hadn't been injured, you know, for the majority of the time. I mean, I've played a lot in goal myself and, you know, I can put sort of allegiance aside and i say he was a class keeper. But again, injuries were unfortunate for him. But the same with Lescott. He'd have played for a club, you know, UA, uh, not UEFA Cup, so Europa League or Champions League level um, had he stayed fit. But, Unfortunately for him, it's like he was made of paper. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. We had a player before called Razak Bukhari. And honestly, I um, I don't know if he ever got out of bed because he just felt like whenever he got back to... Well, I don't think he was ever fully fit, but whenever he got back to some semblance of fitness, he just seemed to get injured again. And I remember yeah. me and my brother went and watched... Uh, they were called the Bomb Squad at this point. I think these were some of the exiled players um, that we were trying to sell on. This is when we were back in the championship, I think. And there was players like O'Hara, Kevin Doyle, Kevin Foley, and Razak Bukhari played that game and got injured. <laughs> I was just like, this this guy, uh, I think this guy needs to take up maybe knitting or chess as his, uh, his hobby because his ankles are clearly not made for running. Something a touch less strenuous. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'm going to move on now, if that's all right with you, to uh, the 4 for you. Yes. So um, if you've got your, your matches, if you can go through them, whatever order you like. Um, going to start with your first one? Yeah, the first one is a relatively recent one. It, it was the year when we got promoted from the Championship and it was when we played Bristol City at, at uh, Ashton Gate and we won 2-1. And, and this was a game where we had a sending off quite early doors and Bristol City were winning. And then we... Uh, Buck comes in, and he could be in trouble here, he could be in big trouble. The referee reaching for his pocket there, Peter Banks, and it's a straight red card. And we see this so often, it's a loose ball, he's definitely trying to win the ball as he goes in on it there, no question about that. But he collects Magnussen, and he gets the red card. Managed to get back into the game towards the end and win 2-1. And it's always been a special game. In, in my memory because obviously we, we were on a really good run at that point anyway and we were all quite positive that 
we would end the season in a really good position. But that was for, that was first against second at that point, and I think Bristol City were the ones in first place. And I think for me that was the moment when I thought, you know what, we're actually going to do this, and yeah. we're, the uh, the Premiership is within our sights just because of the resilience and the way that we fought back. And the atmosphere is incredible. I remember I went and watched it with my friends at the, at the pub in um, in Wensfield, um, and I was living in London at the time, um, so I'd been away for a while, and I come back for. Christmas break and I met up with my friends and um, I hadn't really been out much in London because I didn't really have that many friends there I was there for work really yeah. so when they came back it was so nice to be in like a nice to be home with my friends in a crowded pub with full of Wolves fans I mean it would have been your your worst nightmare yeah. I think. <laughs> it, it's but happened I, before believe it or not but that's another story for another time <laughs> but I remember when the first goal went in, obviously there was hysteria and there was that belief that, you know what, maybe we could just get the win now. You never know. Douglas, I think, will be eyeing this one up again. He hit the post in the first half and he scored in the second half. It seemed to go straight under steel. I don't know whether it got a touch on the way through. It looked like it may well have done. First action for the new goalkeeper. And where it went into the net, suggested really that maybe he should have saved it. It did get a touch, which didn't help him, but even so. It's a bad one for the keeper. Wolves, though, on level. And I think Nuno, Nuno had been sent off, I think, because he was in the uh, one of the director's boxes. And when that second goal went in, and I think it was like the 89th, 90th minute, and it was Ryan Bennett's... A Ryan Bennett header. Um, I just remember the pub was just electric. The atmosphere there was obviously people were. I mean, there was chairs being flung to the floor. <laughs> pints being. Up. I mean, obviously, obviously in Wensfield, you know, there's there's points being thrown and chairs being thrown. All well, the so time. That's just a normal night, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is actually for 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 good reasons, and I just remember the the, the atmosphere was incredible. But obviously, as great as the atmosphere was in that pub, I just thought, imagine being in that away end. Yeah. And that game, like I say, I think Nuno got sent off. I can't remember the details, but he would have been in the... Uh, he was in one of the director's boxes and he was going crazy. There's, you, you'll, you'll have, if you have not watched it, you'll have to watch it. There's like a, there's a, there'll be a YouTube clip of it, definitely. And he's roaring, like, you know, the sheer um, emotion coming from it was incredible. But he was always in a space with loads of Bristol City dignitaries. Yeah. So he's there going crazy and screaming and... the you can just see these old guys like trying to pester him away and telling him to shut up and throwing prawn sandwiches at him. <laughs> yeah, it was it was hilarious. Um, but no, that was a such an amazing game. When I thought I would have loved to have been there to have been swept up in that atmosphere. Yeah. And this is in a good position. Nice angle on it. Whipped into the far post where it finds Bennett, who's won it for Wolves. Surely, celebrations from the manager. In, in in that game loss, would you who would you have been like wanted to have been on the pitch out of the Wolves lot? Who would who would I wanted to have been on the pitch with? No, like who would you want to experience the game as like which player? Oh, okay. Um, I would say I probably would have said Ryan Denny, you know, because imagine that feeling of getting that winner and uh, kind of obviously we then usurped Bristol City at the top of the table, and from then on, I don't think we ever dropped out of the top two. So I think. Having that um, 
just just that that emotion after scoring it, it must have been an incredible feeling to to be the one that got us that those three points i suppose it just sort of turned the corner for you then didn't it and you know you just went on and on and on yeah, because I think there'd been a couple of leaders at that point. That Sheffield United had been in the mix for a while. I don't know if that was before or after Bristol City, uh, but Bristol City were in the mix too, and they were they were kind of our competitors. And obviously, we ended up going up. And I think Cardiff came up automatically with us, if I remember rightly. And then Fulham came up too, I think. Yeah, um, that, that would have been when Fulham spent all that money and just come straight back down, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, but yeah, there, there'd have been a few people that were vying for the top, as there always is at those early stages of the season. But I think once we beat Bristol City, it was kind of we were the ones to be knocked down, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, got the tiger on your back then. So yeah. Right, um, so one down. That's your your second choice. I'm actually going to pick a different team now. And I, I don't know if anyone's picked this, but when I listened to the podcast, no one had. And I was surprised they hadn't because obviously it's such an incredible moment that would never happen today. And in a way, it's amazing that it happened back then. I would have to pick the uh, the Southampton game when Ali Dia played. Yes, and the, the one tricked, who claimed tricked. to be George Weyer's cousin or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to have been in that game and I would have loved to have been one of the... Uh, so it was against... Um, I've actually had to Google it, I'm afraid, because I can't remember what team it was. And it was against Leeds United in November 1996. So, you know what? Really, league that's quite recent and to, to be able to hoodwink a manager into getting you a contract and get on a premiership game I mean really used to be admired really because I mean it yeah. just never happened there but when you think when you look at the year and 96 it's surprising that it happened then really yeah I'll say who, who got him it was yeah, soonest wasn't it yeah I'll say who, who did the checks for him just to make sure he was legit that's you know yeah exactly yeah they've got a I few mean, questions to answer you subbed him with your new Senegalese striker. Um, I mean, was that <coughs> a ray of optimism? Well, we have we have had this lad train with us for a week, and he's shown in training that he's lively and sharp. And we intended playing him in a reserve game in midweek, but because the weather was so bad, um, we couldn't get him on. Um, and then we found ourselves yesterday with two strikers in the club, and that was Matt Letizia and Nigel Oshinstad, who were both both started the game. And we thought we have a problem; we've got no one to throw on. So we've registered him for a month, and. Um, he didn't do well today. He didn't get a kick of the ball, but you know he wasn't alone in not doing well today. And you know we won't we won't judge him just on on ninety well, what, sixty minutes that he played. Um, we'll have we'll have a look. We've got three weeks to have a look. I would have. Uh, I think I, if I was going to pick a player, I think I would pick Matt Letizia for that one because he was the one that got injured and got taken off for Ali Dia, and I would have loved to have been in the Letizia shoes on the uh, subs bench as this guy comes on and plays and just the sheer shock and disbelief for thinking, hang on a minute, who the hell is this guy? Complete bewilderment. It's like, is he really just replaced me, you know, injured or not? (laughs) Well, actually, no, it's saying that maybe I won't pick the test. Maybe I I would embody one of the players on the pitch of Southampton because for once in my life, I wouldn't have been the worst footballer on the pitch. There you go. And that never happens. I know the feeling. (laughs) This guy turned up, a guy called Ali Deer turned up on the recommendation that he was uh, from George Ware, apparently. George Ware's cousin and George had said, you know, this guy is pretty good footballer, give him, give him a try. So Graham Souness was manager at the time. And um, so he came down on a Friday morning and uh, he trained with us and he played in the five-a-side. And uh, to be honest, it didn't look very good. And, um, and we thought, well, that's fair enough. People, you know, trialists come and go and 
Uh, and I just thought this was going to be the same thing. This guy will never see him again. He wasn't particularly good. We turn up for the game the next day. We're playing against Leeds. And um, he's on the subs bench. He's named on the bench. And that's like, well, that's a bit strange. <laughs> Didn't look that good yesterday. Well, after about 20 minutes, um, I get a calf strain. And it's actually me that comes off so that Ali Dia can, uh, can go on. And it was unbelievable. He ran around the pitch like Bambi on ice. It was... Uh, very, very embarrassing to watch. And just after half-time, Graham Sooners actually had to take him off again because he was that bad. Uh, and um, I have no idea if he was George Ware's cousin or not. I don't, I have, I don't think he was. Very bizarre situation. <laughs> he was just chuffed to have got out on the pitch and played. I think it was a great wind-up from someone who just <laughs> came up with this idea. And if it had turned up when you'd been framed, I would have been, you know, it wouldn't have been surprised. It was crazy. He turned up the next morning um, for treatment on an injury. Uh, the physio was telling me. And uh, so the, the Sunday morning he turns up, he has a bit of treatment, he leaves, and then we never see him again. He never came back. He just left. Nobody knows where he went. Never. But, yeah, that was, that was random. But like I say, to claim that you're related to someone as, as high, pro, high profile as George Wade would have been back then. Yeah. Um, that's just... Just crazy. Um, all right, number three. I'm going to pick, um, a, and again, a relatively recent one, and I'm going to say um, when it was Man City nil, Wolves 2, and that was last season. It was October 2019, and it was when Traore was in incredible form, which he yeah. was for most of last season, and we scored two amazing counter-attacking goals set up by Jimenez and scored by Traore and uh, we downed Man City twice that season. So you beat them at home as well? Yes. Yeah, I'm sure we did. It was when we had all those bloody annoying VAR calls on that penalty. I think didn't Sterling take it like three times? I don't know. The VAR just it winds me right up, to be fair. I mean, it, it's great when it works for you, which, let's face it, from, from my side of things, hasn't been that often this season. No, I mean, it didn't happen. I'm sure last season, when they looked at the table for most VR decisions against or most VR decisions not given or whatever, Wolves were second bottom. I think yeah. Sheffield United had the worst and we had the second worst. But, yeah, when it happens for you, obviously you forget about how annoying it is, don't you? You think, oh, yeah, yeah well, I can live with this. But then when it goes against you, you're like, no, I want it out. It's just, yeah, that, that, that's why I'm kind of looking forward to going down in a perverse sort of way because unless they bring it into the Championship, we're not going to have it next season. Exactly. But, exactly. You'll be stuck with it, though. Yeah. It's one of those, isn't it? As much as I hated it back then, and I'm still not a fan of it, I've kind of begrudgingly got used to it happening now. I still don't really like it, but I've made my peace with it. Yeah, you've come to terms with its existence. Yeah, I think a lot of fans might feel like that now. There's a kind of numbness to it, isn't there? That sadly it's here to stay. That's the thing. I mean, I don't suppose it matters so much with crowds not being there, but, you know, that, that instant reaction when you celebrate a goal and, you know, you'll have experienced it, you know, when you've been yourself, you know, it's that just ball is the back of the net, you're up on your feet cheering. It's like, Hang on a sec. Is, is it going to get allowed, or you know, you you'd sort of there's that doubt, isn't there? Yeah, it whips you up into a a frenzy. Yeah, and you get so frustrated because you know for so long you sat there not knowing what's happening. And I mean, I've been at the pub watching games, and obviously you kind of you filled in, aren't you, from the commentators and stuff on what's going on and what they're checking for. But my brother would message me, 
and he'd be in the stands and he'd say, can you tell me what's happening? Because we're just sat here not knowing. It's yeah. just, we don't even know what they're checking for. So it must be so frustrating, definitely. I mean, for me, I've said from the start, and I know a, little, a few other people have said this, there should be maybe that each coach has two or three appeals, you know, like cricket, they're, yeah. they're there. in tennis, it's there. Maybe three appeals each. And if they think, no, this is offside or, you know, the latter, they can they can use that appeal. And I think that would be a way of using it sensibly. And then at least then, if they don't get the VAR decision, the referees can say, well, you chose to use your appeal. But Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I think they could probably take a leaf out of rugby's book. Um, yeah, I've, the, my friends have said this as well, actually. Yeah. Mic, mic up the ref so we know what they're saying. Yeah, 100%. Uh, 100%. And don't give the players any... Um, you know, a lot when, when they crowd the ref, just, they just you tell them to go away once, and if they don't, yellow card. Yeah. They'll soon learn the lesson when they get about three cents off in a game. In rugby, there seems to be a respect there. Yeah. And like you say, the, the referees will say, look, this is what's happening, get out of my face. It's just not there in football, is it? No. Really? And usually the ref in rugby is the smallest guy on the pitch anyway, so... Yeah. <laughs> but he's the one that's got all the power. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, with that Man City Wolves one, um, going back to to this choice, I'm guessing you'd have probably wanted to embody either Jimenez or Traore. I would have uh, thought. I'd like to embody Traore because for once in my life I'd feel muscular. Yeah, and, and pacey <laughs> as well, you know. He's not exactly a slouch, is he? No. Oh, uh, yeah. Nice to have that, that pace as well. I think I'd get picked first when me and my friends play six aside over the uh, over at goals. So you'd be all right at Wembley singles, wouldn't you? Yeah. But no, um, yeah, I probably wouldn't embody Traore, um, although I'll, I'll probably fluff my lines. But um, no, I think that would be incredible. I think he took his chances so coolly and so well when um, we didn't, you know, with one-on-one, sometimes we tend to fluff them. I, I remember when we had Jota, he'd scored some incredible goals. But then in the same games, he'd missed like two or three one-on-ones that he should bury. Yeah, and then when he scored against us for Liverpool, I said, I remember saying to my friends, "So now he's scoring the one-on-one." Yeah, that's it. He would have, he would have fluffed that against us. But yeah, I would have embodied Traore because I mean, it was just an incredible feeling because I, I was at the gym when this game was on because it wasn't. I don't think it was on the telly, or if it was, obviously it wasn't on in the gym. And I remember kept, I kept checking my phone, kept checking my phone, and thinking, if we can hang on for a nil-nil here, because it was early in the season, so obviously Man City were the reigning champions and. For, I expected them to probably win it again. So I kept thinking, if we can just hold on to nil-nil here, that's a real result to get get a nil-nil draw against the champions. That would be an incredible result. And then all of a sudden, when I saw... Because I, there's a chap, um, you might be aware of him, called Tim Spears. Yes, uh, he's a journalist, there's no, he's at the Express and Star. Yeah, he was mail. at the Express and Star, and now he's at the Athletic. Um and I always, I always kind of read his tweets because he's, he's, he's kind of light-hearted, he doesn't take it too seriously. But he's a Wolves fan as well, so there's that passion there. Yeah. And so I kept refreshing his tweets and all of a sudden I saw we scored. And I think I almost fell off the treadmill. So <laughs> and, then, and then obviously then your mood changes. Isn't it? It's like, please, no, just let's hang on to this. But then also part of you thinks, I know it's going to happen, bloody Man City will score two now and we'll lose. Yeah. Because this was the 80th minute of when it happened, so... Jimenez can't quite get it clear, now Wolves will, it's Jimenez setting off on the left, the two defenders blocking his route, Traore's with him, Jimenez, in field to Traore, Traore! Adama Traore! Oh my word! 
Liverpool counter-attacking play and 45 games without a goal comes to an end in dramatic fashion at the Etihad. Thinking, please hang on there, please hang on. Or worst case scenario, just hang on to that draw with the score. And then when I saw that we'd scored again in the 94th, 93rd minute, I was like, unbelievable. I, I, again, as a as a player, I would have been loved to have been on that pitch, but even more so, I would have loved to have been a fan. Yeah. Here's Jimenez, now trying to release Traore. Traore's through, clean on goal to seal him. Adama Traore! Adama Traore puts the icing on the cake. It's a classic breakaway goal. And mark this day down, because Wolverhampton Wanchers are going to win at the home of the champions for the first time since 1984. Yeah. So, all right, so three down. We've got two left. Um, number four? I'm going to pick a, a, a different uh, game here, and I'm going to pick one from, uh, from back in the day. And I'm going to... would have My favourite footballer is Gascoigne. Right. Uh, I think obviously a lot of people have him as a favourite footballer just for his wizardry on the ball and his, uh, you know, his uh, his personality. So I'm going to pick when England played Scotland at Euro '96. Yes, and that moment with the, uh, the flicking over Hendry's yeah. by any chance? Yeah, just yeah. incredible. I mean, it would have been on at the time, but I probably was too young and not that interested back then, so it probably didn't register with me. But obviously, over the years, I've seen clips of it and. I think it was last summer that the BBC put the full game on. So that was the first time I'd watched it in full. And um, I, I was watching Gascoigne for most of that game just to see what he was doing. And I'd, I'd, I'd never really watched a full game of Gascoigne, really, because um, he kind of retired by the time I got properly into football. Yeah, I remember being quite surprised that he was fairly quiet, wasn't really doing too much, um, certainly wasn't lighting it up or anything. He wasn't our best player. And then out of nowhere, there's just this moment of sheer lunacy, isn't there? When he when he manages to flick it over and score that amazing goal, um, I just think, imagine, I'd love to have been in in his boots, just to just to have the sheer audacity to have such a kind of a quiet game, and then out of nowhere, just pull out this amazing little trick. It's, it's the sort of thing like if anyone you can imagine doing it, it would be someone like Gaza, wouldn't it? Just you know. Take it over the defender's head, leave the defender sort of scrambling to, you know, get his balance, and then I don't know if it was on the like full volley or half volley, but either way, you know, to do that you've got to finish it, really, haven't you? Just, just an incredible finish and again it would have been great to have been on the pitch but I think it would have been amazing to have been in that crowd yeah I mean I would have been I'm trying to think now 96 I would have been near enough 14 at the time I'd have been depending on when it was played because when my birthday is I'd have been sort of 13 nearly 14 or just gone 14 so it was that like peak period for like say when you're proper into yeah yeah it does happen at that because that was the age like 12 13 when i first really got into it so yeah 
Yeah, so that's I don't think there's much more we need to say about that. But we'll leave the dentist chair celebration. <laughs> um, but yeah, so your final choice on this one, then Sam. Yeah, final choice. I'm going to go for a game I was I was present for. I went to Molyneux to watch it, and it was when we were in League One, and um, Wolves beat Gillingham four 0 and it was the second our second game in League One. And I'm going to go for that one because we'd had such a miserable season in the Championship uh, under Solbakken and then Dean Saunders. Yeah, so sort of like was, an era you'd rather forget, isn't it? Because that was off the back of McCarthy leaving, wasn't it, from the Prem? Yeah, we were kind um, of rudderless, weren't we? And I yeah. Think it, this is where what I alluded to earlier, when we talk about the old guard and having stalwarts there. I think it was great when Mick McCarthy was there, but when he lost, when we let, when he was sacked... I do fear there was an element of kind of player power and that kind of clickiness that that led to our downfall a little bit because obviously we had Solbach in it who has proven himself to be a good coach, you know, Champions League coach and he's managing Norway now. So he's Norway national manager now, yeah. isn't he? So he came with a certain pedigree and um and who's to say I mean obviously the results weren't there, but at the same time I do kind of feel that the players did not like the system that he was introducing and I do think there was an element of you know, the players kind of wanting him out. Yeah. Then we got Dean Saunders in, it was just shocking. Um, and then went down to League One and I think the first game in League One was against Preston away and it was nil-nil. Kind of uneventful, still kind of feeling our way into this new league, bedding in a lot of young players. Yeah. And, there was, and obviously we had a new coach as well in Kenny Jackie. So there was this kind of not knowing really, um, there was a lot of expectancy on us to go straight back up, but we'd kind of um, changed our tack and upgraded a lot of the young players from the youth club into the first team, which was needed, I think. And we signed three or four players we've experienced at that level, like Sam Ricketts and uh, Kevin McDonald. Um, so there was this element of not really knowing what to expect. And so when I went, when we went to Molyneux to watch, you didn't really know how it was going to go there was it, it, we weren't sure whether we'd absolutely boss it or whether we'd still be fighting our feet for a while yeah because that does happen I mean obviously you look at the clubs that go down to League One and end up staying there for a lot longer than they wanted to I was going to say you got the yeah, Sunderland Portsmouth the, the, the two examples I don't know but yeah. then you get ones like, like Forest went down there didn't they and yeah Leeds. I mean the Forest Norwich not yeah. yes Forest Norwich Leicester Leeds Southampton yeah how many clubs find themselves down there Sometimes it takes a while for it to all click, um, but that 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 game we won four 0 and we just looked incredible. I mean, Gillingham weren't very good, obviously, um, but no, we we just looked a cut above, and I think that kind of settled so many nerves. But it was just really nice to see Wolves playing well and playing with passion and fight, and actually bossing a game and actually converting chances and actually looking happy on the pitch. And seeing the fans look happy because it had been such a miserable two years if yeah. you came to Prem, that Prem season when we went down as well. And it's just so refreshing to actually see, to feel that happiness again and feel that positivity. So and I think... Almost like, you know, it's um, almost like the cover's been taken off, isn't it? And you sort of that release. Yeah, definitely. I think it was such a great feeling. And uh, so I would, have, I would have loved to have been on the pitch of that game. I think I would have loved to have been in the, you know, maybe I'll say I would have loved to have been in Lee Griffiths' 
can't say that. Lee Griffith is, uh, you know, you know, what I'm trying to say, you know, Lee Griffith is the Scottish striker. Yeah. Yeah. So he'd been in a bit of an unknown quantity because we'd signed him in the Prem, and we just kept shipping him out on loan back to Scotland. But he'd been prolific for heaps. So in League One, we thought he could do a job, and we decided to keep him. But we still didn't know really what to expect. But he scored twice that game, and he looked really, really good. And obviously. For me, I think he's a good striker. Obviously, the Scottish Premiership is such a different level from yeah. your top two English leagues. But when I see him for Celtic, I think, you know what, I still think he could do a job in a, maybe a lower Prem, upper championship squad. Yeah. But he had, he, for me, he had a really good pedigree and he, he looked fantastic and he played with such confidence and swagger. And uh, it was great to see. Sadly, it didn't really work out because in January he went to Celtic. And I think that might have been... I think there might have been an element of homesickness there because possibly, yeah, because he he banged in twelve goals in twenty four, twenty five games, so he he'd had a decent return. Um, so yeah, I I would have liked to be him. I would have liked to have been Kevin Doyle as well because I I, I really liked Kevin Doyle. I thought he was uh, a real consummate professional. That played. he's like a, a worker, wasn't he up front? You know, he's not like yeah. the paciest or the most skillful, but you know what you're yeah. going to get out of him. That's kind of what I'm like when I play. <laughs> I'm just a workhorse, really. I would yeah, say I the same, that. but that's why I play in goal. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to have... Uh, I mean, I was there as well. The atmosphere was amazing. And Martin Allen was in charge of dealing with that point. And obviously, he's kind of a, an eccentric character. And he had these red trousers on. I don't know why. But um, he looked... He's always had the belly for a fight. But he looked like he particularly enjoyed himself that summer. Right. So we were all, we were all chanting uh, Santa Santa what's the score and all this. <laughs> I don't know what possessed him to. He had this white polo neck on and these like red trousers and then he put like a gilet on as well. So he was just famous, did he? But for me, it was kind of funny because I hadn't seen. I, I'd been to quite a lot of games by that point at Molyneux and I hadn't seen a character like that. So it was quite funny seeing some crazy guy on the the sidelines and you think to yourself this. These guys are the you only ever see them in the lower leagues, don't you? you yeah. Know, like him and like people like Paul Tisdale at, at uh, when he was at Exeter, wasn't he? And and and, and Gareth Ainsworth as well, you know. Yeah. It's like you, you say about like the the Santa chant at that. That's just triggered a, a memory um, from an Albion Wolves game. Actually, um, it was at our place. It was October, I think, two thousand eleven. I think we won two 0 That's not me rubbing it in. It's just giving you the, the background to it. Yeah. Um, you were attacking the Brummie Road down your left-hand side. You got a corner and Matty Jarvis come to take it. Now, at the time, I had my season ticket and I had to have uh, a different six. I just had a knee operation. So I was on crutches and I was quite close to it. And I hear this shout from about three or four rows back and goes, Oi, Jarvis, your nan's dead. And I'm just thinking of all the stuff to shout at a football game. What the That's, bloody hell was that? You know, at least something... Oh, it was creative. I'll give him that, but... I mean, imagine it would, if, it would have lingered in his consciousness, wouldn't it, when he went to take that corner? That's on the premise that he heard it, but I mean, you know, you call someone a twat or something, by all means, but to say the nan's dead, I mean, what if she hadn't have been dead and then he finds out afterwards that she passed away? You know, it's... Uh, maybe, maybe it was the doctor. Maybe he was just trying <laughs> to get him off the pitch and tell him. I tell, what game of, I tell you what game of, uh, I, I should have mentioned, uh, if I can cheekily add, a, add another one in. Go on then. Uh, I mean, how could I forget the uh, the game where we uh, stayed up 
in the Prem in the 2010-11 season when Stephen Hunt scored that goal against Blackburn. Yes. I mean, I would have loved to have been in Stephen Hunt's shoes for that. I mean, it was a, it was a difficult goal. You know, it's a difficult angle to get that goal in. Long punt forward by the goalkeeper. Can Wolves do what Blackburn did to them? It's Hunt! Um, but again, the the, poor, the pure elation and relief and joy uh, yeah. on the players and, and and all of us fans as well. It's just such a shame. Obviously, the next season we went down, but you know, to, to survive in the, we deserve to stay up that season because we we played some really good football and we beaten some really good teams. You know, we ended Man United's run. We beat Chelsea. We beat Arsenal. We'd been in really good form, and so I, I think we deserve that. And um, yeah, so that would have been another great game to have been in. Yeah, I mean, that... my hair is getting to Stephen Hunt lengths now. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I could have easily have fitted in his uh, in his shoes. Yeah, that would have been under McCarthy as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was going to say about McCarthy, and this is putting more of a, a neutral slant on it than you know the now being slant. For me, after he got sacked, I thought you'd have been better off keeping him. And even if you'd have still gone down, you'd have shown some fight. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I I agree with that, and I I think it was something I felt at the time, and I think a lot of Wolves fans felt that at the time. It's a bit like our relationship with New now. Now it's a very patient one, and that patience has been rewarded. Yeah. Even during this difficult season, I think there's still been positives to take from it, and I think he was a bit like that with Mick McCarthy, where we knew. I mean, we weren't even in the relegation places when we lost to West Brom. I think we were kind of hovering around them, 16th, 17th maybe. And we'd had a really good start that season too. And we were top at one point. And then obviously we started to really struggle. Then we got a win against QPR, which kind of lifted our spirits. And then the West Brom uh, defeat happened, which was brutal. And obviously a really, really poor performance from us. And Keith yeah. Andrews is another player that we forgot yes. to mention earlier. That yes, he is, yeah. He scored and and celebrated, if I remember rightly. Yeah. I wasn't going to mention that particular game. I was sort of trying to work around it because oh, yeah, I can yeah. imagine how bad it must have been for you. But being as it's you brought it up... Where, yeah. You know what? For me, like I don't actually get too emotional about the local derbies. I feel the fight and I feel the passion and I, I really love the you know, the rivalry. But yeah. I don't get too upset you know, or too elated either way. I mean... To lose 5-1 to anyone is just a really gutting feeling anyway. And I think it wasn't it 1-1 as well. And then it went to 5-1. You, hang on, we, I think we took the lead. And then didn't we equalise with Fletcher? And then Stephen it, Fletcher scored. Um, it's quite a decent goal, to be fair, if I remember. Coming from a throw-in, yeah. I think, down your right-hand side. Got played in. I don't know if he hit it on the volley or what, but it was, it was a well-worked goal. You know, I'll hold my hands up to that. And Yeah, and then we... But the, we were just shocking, weren't yeah. we, really? Um, we just looked totally bereft of ideas. But now I agree with you. I think if we'd have kept... We, it, sorry, I'm trying to get my words out here. Basically, we didn't really have a contingency plan. Yeah, and it wasn't yeah. like we had anyone lined up. So it kind of felt like a real unilateral decision made on passion. It's almost as that passion of and that anger and that emotion of losing. It kind of felt like a bit of a, a breakneck kind of quick decision yeah. with no afterthought 
And I think if they'd have had this afterthought of, okay, well, who's out there that can replace McCarthy and, and keep us up, then then fair enough. I know it's a bit, obviously, uh, there's an element of subterfuge there, but fair enough, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a business. But I think to get rid of him and just not have any idea of who's out there to replace him, to not have any contingency plan in place was just foolish because, like you say, we might if they they should have sat down and said to themselves, well, look, we've got no, there's no other desirable candidates out there, really. Let's just stick with Mick. And worst case scenario, if we do go down, like you say, I mean, Mick McCarthy is one of the best championship managers going, really. I mean, I know he doesn't, he doesn't get every team promoted, but look at the wonders he did with Ipswich on such a shoestring yeah. budget. He kept them competing. And then as soon as he left, they went straight down. So, I mean, um, I forgot what I was going to say now. Yeah, because it was Connor, wasn't it, that took over after after Mick went, and he really yeah. he, he wasn't the answer. No, I mean I don't think he wanted it. The fans didn't want it, and no one wanted it. I mean I wanted him to succeed, but it felt very deflating because, I mean at the time there were a few names being linked. I think Steve Bruce was one. I think Steve, if the rumours are to believe, I think Steve Bruce wanted it, but we didn't want him. I think right. Um, Alan Kerbishley was one that we seemed to be really wanting, and at the time. I mean, obviously now, I mean, it's crazy to think, isn't it? But back yeah. at the time, you know, over 10 years ago, or 10 years ago, Alan Kirbishley was still kind of a a name that you'd want. A big name, yeah. And, yeah, and, he, and he'd, he'd done well at Charlton and West Ham. And I was certainly up for having him. And then I heard rumours that the contract they offered him wasn't very good and, and things like that. It was just a bit of a mess, wasn't it, really? And yeah. again, it just didn't seem that they fought it through properly. It's a real shame because, like you say, if we'd have kept Meek, I don't think the season would have ended half as embarrassingly as it did. I think because we never we didn't win a game after that. We didn't, we, you know, we we scraped a couple of draws. But when Connor took over, we were seventeenth, eighteenth, then we we ended up last quite considerably. Yeah. So I think if we'd have had Meek, we would we would either have gone down, but gone down fighting. Yeah. Or like you say, we might have even stayed up. That's the thing. It was only in the February as well, so there was still you know a few months with plenty of games to go for it. But it, it is what it is, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. You know? um, all right. So I'm going to sort of draw proceedings to a, a bit of a close. Now. I've just got a few um, just for a bit of a laugh, quick fire questions for you. Yeah, sure. Um, it's, it's sort of like an either or, so it's not sort of too much to to think about unless you want to sort of go into a bit of detail on your answers, which is is fine. Um, I am terrible with either or questions. Okay. I, I I have to um and ah. I um I um and ah over either or. I <laughs> say so there's only a few, so it, it's not too bad. Um, hopefully, it's not too painful anyway. <laughs> um, right. So the first one: FIFA or Football Manager? Football Manager. Um, I love FIFA, um, but when I play FIFA, it's more for just the thrill of playing and just for the fun. It's like laid back. I put FIFA on, play with my mates. Don't think about it too much. And it's only recently that I've started doing seasons as FIFA. Yes. So over lockdown, I wanted to pick a Prem team to play as FIFA. But I didn't want to pick Wolves because I, I don't like tinkering with Wolves squads. I like to keep them as they are. And I thought, what team can I pick that I can go in and change? Like I, I like when I when I play as a team, I like to like make wholesale changes and sign loads of players and put my yeah. own philosophy on it so I picked Palace okay they were kind of full of old players they had such an old squad I thought I could mould this team so I played as Palace on FIFA for a few seasons got them into Europa and my star striker was uh, I kind of I think I had like a four like a four five one kind of formation 
and uh, my sole striker was Morelos from Rangers. Yes. And he's superb on FIFA. So when anyone I out there playing FIFA, um, sign him up because he was fantastic for me. And he was banging in like 26 goals a season. And I got to the Europa as well. So I had a, I had a cracking squad on there. Um, I had like Max Ahrens from Norwich. I had Ben Godfrey from Norwich. I had uh, Jeremy Doku from Anderlecht, who's like a, a rising star in, in Belgium. I had Alfredo Davies as well. So I had a really good young squad on there, but now I'd have to say football manager because I love the detail of it, and yeah. I loved I loved the pro. It's like a project, yeah. You know, it's it's like when you used to play Sims back in the day. It's a real commitment. So I love football manager because I love picking a team and I love moulding them and I love I love the the long term nature of it. And I've had some cracking times on football manager. I tell you, I had um, back in the day I managed Ipswich and I got us in the prem. And I had a really great squad. I had like Lukaku up front. And this this is going back like 10 or 11 years ago. Before he was had, a, like, a bit of big thing, sort of. Yeah. Then I had, I had Hereford United. I managed one point and they were in the conference and I took them to League One. Um, most recently, over lockdown, because I was bored, I did download Football Manager, the new one. And I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to pick up a team I could mould and take from the lower leagues to the Prem. So I picked MK Dons. Okay. And I kind of took on, this is how sad I am. Like, I'll play football manager and, like, I'll, I'll think, you know what, I'm, for this team, I'm going to manage them and I'm going to, I'm going to have, like, have, like, a young and hungry British team of, like, up and coming English players and, and, and go down that route. But then with MK Dons, I thought, I'm going to, like, be a continental manager and sign loads of foreign players. Yeah. And I got proper into it. Like, I was looking at all the analytics and, and, um, you know, the scope for improvement on them. And I ended up having this really cracking squad of like mostly foreign players I've never heard of. But um, I got promoted to the championship in my first season. And I, th- I think it was like fourth or fifth in the championship. And then, you know, and you just, you don't play it for a while and you lose interest. Yeah, I know exactly what you're on about. Yeah, I'm in yeah. that same sort of funk with it myself. I had a Port Vale save and uh, got them from League Two, kept them in League Two, got them up the following season into League One. Got promoted from League One to Championship, and I've not touched the game for a while. To be fair, but you know, it's funny you mentioned Port Vale because you just jogged my memory because that was one of my greatest football manager achievements. And mm. it's weird, right? Because there's a weird element to this of where it actually happened in real life. I took on Port Vale because I thought steady League One club. Yeah, I, I like the the kit as well, and I thought I'm going to sign loads of random foreign players because this was when I was being like a continental man. I thought I'll sign loads of foreign players and I'll have this like continental squad and I'll get them to the championship. And I did get them promoted. And I always remember it's the first time I've ever seen this. You know, on the board, talk to you of their expectations. Yes. I didn't even get offered, um, you know, a target avoid relegation. The target was attempt to avoid relegation. Yeah. So it was like the board were basically saying, look, we know we're probably going to straight, go straight back down. But, but have a go. It. But, um, the weird thing was it came true in real life because I remember it might have been a season or two later, Port Vale in League One and they hired this Portuguese manager called Bruno Ribeiro right. and they signed loads of foreign players. And it was so weird because obviously it was such a random thing for me just to pick Port Vale and sign foreign players. And then it happened in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't write it, could you? Yeah. yeah. All right, um, next one, Old Wembley or New Wembley? Um. I've never been to Old Wembley, but I've been to New Wembley, so I'll just pick New Wembley for that one. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with me, but 
I don't really, I've never been to the old one, so I couldn't really compare. So them. You, got, you can't compare the game. That's fair enough. Um, three Lions or World in Motion? Oh, God, that's hard. Um, you know what? I'm going to go for World in Motion because just such a timeless tune and John Barnes's rap is brilliant. And, <laughs> yeah, I love Free Lions, but yeah, I go for World in Motion because Free Lions is played all the time, isn't it? I know World in Motion's played a lot as well, but. Uh, both great songs, though. You can't deny that. Oh, God, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Um, the last one of these, um, going up via automatic promotion or winning the playoffs? It depends, doesn't it? Because you've think, done both, haven't you, Wolves, in, in recent years? Yeah. I think if you were an outsider for most of the season and you crept into the playoffs and there were there wasn't really that expectation of going up and you went up, then yeah. But you know what? I'm going to be a bit boring and I'm going to say automatic promotion because I, I just want the sure thing. Yeah. I know it's thrilling in the playoffs, but I think the Mariners spoke about it, didn't they? Just when you lose, it's just it's even more devastating than going down sometimes because you think to yourself, after all that hype and that hope, you've now got another season in the same division. You've got to pick yeah. yourself back up after that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take automatic all day, I think. Yeah. You say about the, the Mariners, I think it was Paul that mentioned, I think the, the Watford-Leicester game. That famous game, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was just uh, so bizarre that was. But, yeah. I say, our experience in the playoffs has been mostly bad, to be fair, because we haven't won one since 93. But, you know, it, it is what it is. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, but I think you you got into the playoffs... You, Sheffield United, but I think you've gone up. Is it automatically each time since then, or yes, we yeah. have. Yes, we have. Yeah, and so to be fair, that's probably the best way to, like you say, you're guaranteed, then, aren't you? So, yeah, definitely. I mean, one team I really like is Brentford. I really just like the way they play football. I think they're a team ready for the Prem, and I was gutted last season. I mean, I know you, you were, well, I wasn't. Honestly, <laughs> I, was, I was kind of gutted when they drifted out because I remember saying to my brother, Oh, they probably won't go up now. You know, because they're on a bit of a down, and obviously they didn't. I say, I, I would like to say I feel sorry for them, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't. Really. <laughs> but um, no, that's pretty much drawn proceedings to a close now, Sam. So again, thank you for coming on. And um, no, th thanks so much for having me. Like I say, I really like the podcast, and um, thank you. It's great just to talk about football because, obviously, as musicians, we spend a lot of our time talking about our music and the music that influences us, but. It's quite rare we get to devote a lot of time to talking about football, and so many, as you've probably discovered, so many of us are such fervent yeah. fans. It's, yeah, it's that's, that's a good thing as well. It's like you're not just passionate about the music; you've got the, the passion for the football as well. Which, uh, you know, as a music fan myself, it, it's great having the likes of you and you know, like the guys, the Mariners, Dean Dovey, um, Paul Nixon to come, um, the, the cover, you know, music and football sort of thing. So, uh, but yeah, so, that's been no, great. Appreciate Thanks. you taking the time and uh, I'll, I'll be sure to catch up with you soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thanks again and speak cool. soon. Awesome. All right. Cheers, Sam. Thank you. Thank you to Sam for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate him taking the time out to, uh, to speak to us. Uh, links for his music can be found in the episode description and are worth giving a listen. Um, there's also links for his social media if you want to drop him a follow. Right, the poem for this episode is called Up and it was written by Andy Lockett. And here we go. Finally there, through a seasoned slog, we've made it. Euphoria, elation, ecstasy and now a new expectation. 
Will we survive in a pool of sharks or be torn apart? Week on week made fools of. Lost, no hopers, but maybe, just maybe, 17th place will be ours. After all, that's safety. We'll get whacked by the top four, but who cares? So long as Mick and the boys deliver in the other 30 games. Points will be oh so precious, for sure. Wolfrunians, the world over, await. And we'll be on TV. Pundits will scoff, ridicule, mock. No doubt, but we are wolves with a history known to every fan by heart. Cullis, Doug, Bully, a noble heritage, but we have a chance earned the hard way. Tabletop since October, leaders from the front chase a scene off. It won't be easy next time. Half a new team might just do, but more than that, it's guts and guile we'll need. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. It's much appreciated. Uh, if you want to check out Luke Williamson's artwork, you can find that at lukewilliamsonart.com. And also for a 10% discount off the artwork, if you enter the uh, promotional code uh, PROJFOOT10 at checkout, so that's P-R-O-J-F-O-O-T-1-0, uh, that will get you a 10% discount at the checkout. Uh, if you want to submit something to Football Poets or just have a general browse, you can find them at footballpoets.org, alternatively on Twitter at Football Poets. And if you want to get in contact with the podcast, uh, you can do so via email, which is projfoot at gmail.com, so P-R-O-J at gmail.com, on Twitter at proj underscore foot, or on Facebook at facebook.com stroke project football. Again, thank you very much for listening. We've reached full time now. Goodbye and take care.